0: if you will turn to Galatians 4 we are going to uh start in verse 21 continue our uh three year voyage like Gilligan and uh but ours is through Galatians and uh today is a little different as you see in the horizon there with respect to your notes uh, as i studied this passage as i uh looked at what god was teaching and 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 the some passages just uh hit home more than others, if you will. Some passages you just can't wait to preach more than others. Some passages are just, the fruit is just there on the low branches for the taking. And this was one of those passages. As I dug in, I think on the surface we don't see what God is teaching, and yet the reality of what God is teaching here and what through Paul hits home. And I didn't want to be pinned down with notes and and I, I i don't just this is a different passage paul does something here that that with regards to scripture that in seminary and 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 in teaching you would never teach somebody to do in the sense of allegorizing scripture but paul does it under the inspiration of the holy spirit and he does it in the right way and the truth that what he teaches here is deep and i think it'll hit home it is hit home with me and, and just conversations, I, I don't want you to think I just wasted my time and, and uh, you know, was ready for Memorial Day weekend and just didn't produce notes. It, it was on purpose. And I want, I want, you ever had those conversations where you just, you know, you ask your kids, hey, stop what you're doing and just, just look at me. Just, just pause what you're doing. Don't be distracted with wondering what the, f- I don't want you distracted with wondering what the next fill-in is. I don't want you trying to guess what the next filling in and miss what Paul is is teaching here. And, and this is unique, and, and my heart is, is really with this passage. There's a lot of things to say, and yet I have a finite time to say it. And so in some ways, I'm not that I'm not normally, but I'm trusting God to say what He wants to say, and I would have the boldness to say everything that this passage says, and, and I want to be able to go, and sometimes notes you know I, sometimes notes will just kind of fence me in and that's good for somebody who has attention issues that's good you want me to be fenced in but yet other times i, I want to be i want to be a little freer and uh and that was this week and so we'll jump in here in verse 21 and last week we we looked at galatians 4:12 through 20 and we said that everything paul is teaching us that everything that god does in our lives everything that He walks us through, takes us through, allows us to go through everything God does is that Christ would be formed in us, that we would look like Christ. We saw that not only in our passage in Galatians 4, but Romans 8, that Christ would be formed in us. And we said one of the primary ways that that happens is through suffering. And and really that is a transition of this letter. Paul is finishing it up and, and really what we see here goes on into chapter 5. And he says, Brothers, do not you have been set free for freedom's sake. And he says, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That's where we're headed. Chapter 5 is going to be rich. But the goal of everything that that God does, the goal of everything in our lives, is that Christ would be formed in us. Our attitudes, our actions, everything, that we would reflect Christ. We said it was like a sculptor who has this block of clay and he has a picture for what he wants that clay to look like and he chisels off every single portion of that block or clay of clay that doesn't look like what he wants it to look like. He chisels it off. He files it down. That, that's what God is doing in our lives. Christ formed in us. And and all throughout all throughout Galatians, we have been seeing the battle between Paul and the Judaizers, Paul and the Jews who are saying Paul is saying it's Christ plus nothing equals salvation. And these Judaizers are saying, no, it's Christ plus the law, it's Christ, it's Christ plus. And, and Paul continues to hammer home the reality here in verses 21 through to the end of chapter 4 that salvation is totally an act of God. It's a supernatural act. It's by grace through faith and not by works. And Paul does it here by confronting the Judaizers in a, in a very odd way, in a, very, in a way that would have been very conf- confronting to them. It would, been, it would have been a very in-your-face way to them. They they would have thought for sure that they're the Isaac, and they're not the Isaac. They would have thought for sure they're in the family of God, and Paul's saying, not that way, not that way. They would have had a spiritual resume that said, look, see all the stuff I've done, certainly, certainly I'm in. Paul says, not that way. And Paul uses this passage to confront the Judaizers about the error of their way, those individuals who thought that salvation was Christ plus something else. And, and I think that I think that what we'll see today will be confronting not only to them, but to us. Paul, Paul's message today goes way beyond, way beyond just the people of his day. The, the word of God, uh, Hebrews 4, is active and living, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce both joint and marrow. It's alive. God's Word is just alive today as it was then. The message is just as pertinent, just as needed today as it was when Paul shared this the first time. And on the front end, I'm telling you, today it's going to confront you. Today's message is going to confront you. I, I, I don't want you to think on the front end that I know your situation and I'm speaking to anyone's situation. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is going to confront you today. Just know on the front end. That this, is not a, this is not a tickle your ear sermon. This is not a, you know, it's going to be memorable, Memorial Day. It'll be memorable. I, 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 I'm, I'm hopeful of that in a good way. I, I don't want any, I'm just on the front end. I'm a people pleaser and I love you. And, and, but, I'm, but I love God more. And I love the word more. And if we're honest with ourselves, what we see here today is going to be difficult for a lot of us to swallow if we're honest with ourselves. But, but we've got to be honest with the text. I remind you of what Paul said in Galatians 4.16. He says, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I, I would say the same thing to you today. I, I'm not your enemy for telling you the truth. I'm not your enemy for telling you exactly what the Word of God says to the best of my ability. I'm not your enemy. I love you. I pray that we will see this text in the context of Christ being formed in us, of of focusing our attention and our affection and our lives solely on Christ, that we would be a people that flees human wisdom instead for godly wisdom. That we would be a people that trust God no matter the cost. You'll see there on your notes, it's a blank page except for one thing, and that's the main point. The main point, uh, I think it's there on your notes, of what I want you to see is this, is that we, and it's the, it's the point of this text, we cannot achieve God's promises through human effort, but rather solely by faith in God's Word. If we're honest, that's where most of us fight the battle. Trying to achieve God's blessings, trying to get results in the flesh. If you want results, trust me, I can get results. You want to pack this place out? We could could pack this place out real quick the wrong way. We can offer the coolest music. We can give you a light. We can do everything that your flesh wants, and we could pack churches out. But that's not the point. We, We can get results. You can get results in your life from human effort. You're smart, people. You're skilled people. You can get results. You you can get what you want to get, and you can even do it in a culturally acceptable, looks real good way. And all the while, miss what God really wanted to do, what God was teaching. And that's the story we see today. Look, look Look in verse 21 with me. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? Again, he's speaking to the Judaizers. They would have gone back to the law. It was Christ plus the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. The son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. One proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. She is Hagar, Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as, it, but as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Paul says this staring right into the face of a a group of self-righteous Jews who thought that they were a part of the family of God because Abraham was the father of their nation. And these same people believed that they had to perform, they had to add to Christ's work their own performance, whether it was the law, whether it was circumcision, but it was Christ plus something in order to be saved. That salvation was basically Jesus Christ plus you had to become a Jew in order to be saved. In order to be acceptable before God, it was Christ plus something. And what Paul gets at here began way back in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? You know, he says there, hey, did did you get saved by doing something or by believing something? Did you merit salvation or was salvation totally of grace? Was it by works of the law or was it by faith? Paul reminds him it was totally by faith. It was trusting in the work, not of yourself. It was trusting in the work of a God, a supernatural work, God's wisdom, who crucified His Son. These individuals thought that they could gain merit righteousness on their own and Paul has said, you don't. You're none righteous. Romans 3, none are righteous. God says the only way that we come to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's God's wisdom. Man would have never orchestrated, designed, drawn up a gospel such as this because it it, it destroys human pride. Human wisdom says we can earn our way through keeping the law. We can earn our way through this. We can earn our way through that. But listen, the true gospel excludes all human effort when it comes to earning your way to God or meriting your way. And and Paul illustrates this point by comparing the sons of Abraham and how they came about. Paul is comparing Isaac and he's comparing Ishmael. And he's saying their births, their births represent the two ways that man will attempt to, to get to God, that man will attempt to earn God's favor or to earn his promises. I don't want to assume that all of us in here understand the story, so I want you to hold your place in Galatians, and we're going to go back to Genesis. So two books that start with G this morning. We're going to be in the G's. Two books. Hold your place in Galatians. Turn with me back to Genesis 12. I want to be very careful that we understand the backstory and, and what, what Paul is saying here and how wisely he does what he does. God approaches Abraham, Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, and from this is this would be called the Abrahamic covenant in Scripture. Would, there were three elements to the Abrahamic covenant: there was land, there was seed, and there was blessing. And Paul promises this. I mean, God promises this. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. There's land. And I will make you a great nation. Seed. And there's a blessing. I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth, it says in verse, in verse 4. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed. Flip over to chapter 15. A- Abraham is promised here a son. You know, in order to, in order to be a blessing, to a, in order to birth a nation, in order to be a, a blessing, you, you need to start with one son at least. And Abraham has none. He said, Look at verse 2. O Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and reckoned it, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. God chooses to bless Abraham totally by grace, promised that he would provide Abraham a son totally by grace through the whole world, a son through whom the whole world would be blessed. When, when Abraham, you saw, when, when he approaches Abraham, he's 75 years old. Not, not, not ideal childbearing age. Not, not at all what you would expect for God to do. And yet, that's exactly why it was done that way. When this happens, Abraham and Sarah, are gonna when it really happens, they are going to be able to take zero credit for it. All of God. And and they're old, they have no children. And after the promise, listen, after the promise from God to Abraham, ten years passes and this much has happened. Zero. Okay, this thing started when he was 75. Now he's 85. Not only is he ten years older, Sarah is ten years older. Sometimes we like to fool ourselves and think we don't age with our husbands. We both age at the same rate. She's older, he's older. Uh, imagine, imagine you're already old. God has given you a promise. Ten years later, zero, zero. Nothing has happened. Urgency starts to set in. You know, if ever that biological clock was ticking, it's spinning at a rapid pace. I mean, that biological clock is ticking. You've got this wonderful promise hanging out there from God, a wonderful promise, a son. You're going to have a son, and you're gonna, he's going to be a blessing to the whole world. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Ten years passes, and you've got nothing. What do you do? The question you're asking is, how long do we wait? What's going on? We've been there. All kinds of scenarios pass through our minds. Look look at Genesis 16. Genesis 16, 1 through 3. This is how Abraham and Sarah responded. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing a child. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Hello. Hello. Sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. I like it. Let's go. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar. She conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. You see how Abram and Sarah, Sarai at the time, you see how they responded to waiting. Sort of of the same way that you and I like to respond to waiting. Concoct our own plan. Do our own thing. Hey, you know what? I can, I, I'm, I'm slick, I can make things happen. If it's just a son, I can get you a son, Abram. You want a son? I can, I can get son. You, results? I can get some results. I got this woman over here, I got this Egyptian maid servant, Hagar. Why don't you go have a child with her and she'll be my son? And, and, and the verse 2 is the key in Genesis 16. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. Now don't take that too far, men. I'm telling you, the voice of his wife, the problem is this, the voice of his wife contradicted the voice of God. And if the voice of our wife contradicts the voice of God, sorry. Wives, if the voice of your husband contradicts the voice of God, sorry. You don't submit to that. You submit ultimately to God. And God had given Abraham or Abram at the time, and Sarai, they had not had their names changed yet, a promise. And God's not acting on their time schedule. God's not doing things as quick as they think He ought to be doing things. You know what they say? I'll just take matters into my own hands. Human wisdom kicks in and says, hey, I'm a smart guy, I know how babies are created. Look, look, hey, here's this woman over here, let's get a baby. Let's get this thing going. Human wisdom kicks in and says, you know what? I can accomplish God's plans my way. I can achieve God's blessings my way. I can get God's promises and the fruit of his promises through the flesh. I don't need to wait on God. I don't need to wait for God to do what he says he's going to do. I don't need to wait. I don't need to be patient. I got, I got skills. We can make this thing happen. And we think that we can achieve the same goal through human effort that God wants to do through His grace and that He wants to do alone. And again, like any good husband, Abraham Abram listened to his wife. He sleeps with Hagar. Hey, we got a son. We'll name him Ishmael. They got their son. They got the results. They got results. What's the problem? Look at verse 15 of chapter 16. It tells you, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. You'd think, you, you know, human wisdom says, oh, that was miraculous in and of itself. God must be in this. No. No. God's not interested in results. He's interested in faith. He's interested in waiting. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up like eagles. It's waiting. And if we're honest, the hardest thing for us to do is to wait. The hardest thing for us to do is submit for God to do things His way. Because we've all been there where God is not acting quick enough. That's hard. And, and you, from Abram's perspective... Everything seems fine now. He got the results he needed. An heir. He's got his son. And you know, we're we're all prone to that. Look, just because we get good results doesn't mean that God's in it. Please hear that. Just because things look good on the surface doesn't mean that God is honored or blessed with it. Not at all. We live in a world, ends justify the means, and that stuff has crept into Christianity. The ends do not justify the means. Just because it makes sense to man, just because we got results, doesn't mean that God is in heaven applauding and is honored. Not at all. And and, and that's not at all how this story unfolds. 14 years later, listen to me, 24 years after the promise. 24 years. Abram's 99 years old. Sarah turns up pregnant. Look at Genesis 21. Genesis 21. Then the Lord, start in verse 1 through about 3. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said. Listen, That's the key. 24 years later, had God forgot his word? Had God forgot what he had promised? No. He didn't forget I was I was reading. I, I, I think it comes up in the notes later. I think I threw it in the notes later. Numbers 23, 19 Yesterday it it just it just hit me in the face. God God did not forget His word. He did not forget. Twenty four years later, He still remembered what He had promised. Still remembered. Sarah turns up pregnant. So the, the and he and the Lord did for Sarah. Look what He says: as He had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abram at his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. God did exactly what he said he would do, but he did it according to his timing. Why? So that he could get the credit. So he'd get the credit. Twenty, twenty-five years later, Twenty-five years later, God fulfilled His promise. God's wisdom over human wisdom. Listen to me, we serve a God that's going to keep His word no matter how long it takes. And sometimes He's going to orchestrate circumstances in my life and your life that are going to take us to the end of ourselves so that we have no one to applaud, no one to praise, no one to give the credit to, other than God. Why? Because you and I are glory robbers and we love to take credit for things that we don't need to take credit for. And He's going to take us to the end of ourselves and we're going to wait. I mean, think, and think, for, think for just a moment, just hypothetically. This can be dangerous and my wife would tell you, I hate it when people do this, but I'm going to do this right now. Doesn't always make for good theology, it makes for good preaching. Can you imagine how Abram felt when he held Isaac in his hand? You think you think he might have felt like Yeah, probably should have waited. That thing with Hagar might not have been a good idea. You ever been in a situation where you felt like that? You circumvent God, you jump to your own means, you do all this stuff, and then all of a sudden God does exactly what he's like. I mean look look back, I mean in Galat- look back with me in Galatians four real quick. That, that's exactly what Paul is saying in verses twenty-one through twenty-three. He's saying, "Look, these are two covenants. One, one got the one got the promise by the flesh. The other is a, received the promise by faith. One child is, I'll take matters into my own hands and I'll get results. I'll work my way to the promise in the flesh. The other is, I'm going to have to rely on God to be God and fulfill His word and do exactly what He said." You have Ishmael, who was born according to natural processes. He says, according, verse 23, but the son of the bondworm, that's Hagar, was born according to the what? The flesh. The other son, Isaac, totally supernatural. All of God. Ishmael, human effort. Isaac, faith. Ishmael, a human attempt to gain God's promises and favor. Isaac, faith. You see see what Paul is doing here. Faith versus works. Are you going to trust God or not? How it ties into the whole letter. You you can do what you want to do and think you're getting to God, but listen to me, you only come to God through faith and faith alone. Isaac came to Abraham and, and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai simply through faith. Faith. And the question, the question is this will we trust God? Will, will we come to God on His terms alone? Will we wait no matter how long it takes? Or will we try to pass off God's promises and achieve them through our own effort? And will we try to pass those off as, oh yeah, God, God blessed? No, He's just that good. But He's not honored over here. You, you see throughout the Bible, God blessed Ishmael. And, and Hagar, he, 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 he blessed them. Why? Because Abraham, he blessed them. He's just that good. But that was not the child God promised. That's not the means through which he wanted to work. And he didn't. And, and Abraham and Sarah, so, listen to me, hear me. They dealt with the consequences of that. Ishmael persecuted Isaac his whole life. Not to be—I mean, not to go get sidetracked—and you do understand that that through Ishmael, Islam, all these people over here in the Middle East—that's through Islam, that's through Ishmael. You see what happened? You see the fighting—they're they, still persecuting the Isaacs. Ishmael is still persecuting his brother Isaac. All because you simply took matters into your own hands. Take matters in your own hands. I got results. Yeah, you got devastating results eventually. I mean, we're, are we going to live our lives on our own terms? Or are we going to trust God? It's interesting in Genesis 17, turn back I mean turn back to Genesis 17. Start in verse 15. Interesting what, what, what Abraham says here. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give her, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So you see, God's saying, look, this other child is not the, not the way. Look what Abraham does. Abraham fell on his face and laughed, said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Listen to what Abraham says. This is so human nature. Verse 18, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God's, you know what he's saying? I got a son. I got a son. See the results, God? Just bless the results. You're off the hook, God. I got a son. I got it. I took matters into my own hands, God. I got results. He says, Oh, that you would, that you would, Ishmael would live. But God said, No, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and his descendants will be. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make his nation great. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. The human, that's, that's the human tendency and how we operate. I'll just pass Ishmael off. As desired result, I'll pass Ishmael off as the fulfilled promise. Hey, Abraham is saying, I got this, God. You don't need, you don't, you're you off the hook. I got it taken care of. I know what you said, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it quicker. I'm going to get the results quicker. We're good. Abraham settled for results over faith. He settled for human wisdom over God wisdom. He didn't have to trust God. He went to great lengths, so he did not have to wait on God any longer. And and God is saying, look, he makes it very clear. Look, that's the flesh. That's not supernatural. That's not the child I'm going to bring forth. I still have not forgotten my word. That's exactly what Paul says back in Galatians 4, 24 and 25. This is allegorically speaking. For these women are two covenants, one from the Mount Sinai, bearing children who are slaves. She's Hagar. Paul is saying, look he uses this story to say, look, you rely on human wisdom and the law to be right before God and, and you are not a true child of God. You try to come to God through works, you try to come to God through any means other than Jesus Christ, you, can you get results? You can get results, but you're not the true child. He's saying those who trust the promises of God are true children. Those who, who trust the flesh versus relying on the supernatural work of God are not sons of the promise. And and these are the two ways that we try to get to God. One is by faith. Two, Two opportunities for us. Faith and works. They're mutually exclusive. One is flesh. One is human effort. The other is grace and faith and is supernaturally of God. One is based on human ability. The other is, says, I have no ability. I need grace. One, one happens by the flesh and the skill of man and the ability of man. The other says, you know what? It's a total supernatural work of God. Total grace. And, and this analogy pictures, again, the way we try to get to God. Works or faith. And the Bible is very clear. We cannot attain righteousness on our own. Instead, we have to trust the supernatural work of God in the gospel. It is Christ plus Zero. We believe in the work of Christ as being completely sufficient. That's the biblical gospel. Not Christ plus church, Christ plus Bible, Christ plus. Di- no, no, it's Christ plus zero. The way we honor God is faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Impossible. Not, it's a 50 50 crapshoot. Like, take my chances. No, it is impossible. And, And the gospel teaches us that, again, we cannot attain righteousness on our own. Instead, we have to trust the supernatural work of God. And look, that challenges our flesh and our human wisdom. I mean, think about what we believe. God took on flesh. He was born of a virgin in a city of Bethlehem that nobody knew about that Micah long, long ago prophesied that he would grow up and die as a criminal, be crucified as a criminal alongside criminals, and three days later he would be resurrected. There ain't nobody selling that off. Nobody's come, no human being is coming up with that story on their own. Nobody. Only God's wisdom would come up with that story. The reality is, as you go to 1 Corinthians all over, that story confounds unbelievers. It is a stumbling block to those who do not believe. They do not appraise the value in that, but God appraises it. He says the the believers appraise it. On Tuesday, I spent over three hours with a guy answering his questions and sharing the gospel with him. And, and, And at the end of the day, what it boiled down to was man's wisdom over God's wisdom. He, he said to me, Chris, I don't, I don't even understand. Like, you talk about repentance. You're a pastor. What do you, like, sin every once, four or five months? I'm like, are you crazy? Ask my wife. I'm not belittling sin, but, I mean, his wisdom was, I don't, he makes up his own rules. He, he, sin is what he wants sin to be. Not, not what God wants it to be. And I used an example of something that happened that day. And I said, look, how was your reaction to that? And he told me, I said, you see, the Bible says that's sin. You don't say that's sin. The Bible says that's sin. You you had words for that individual. And I heard them and saw them. The Ephesians 4 says, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the moment, according to edification and the need of the moment. That word you said was anything but edifying, my friend, sin. Man's wisdom, human's wisdom. Versus God's wisdom. He could not understand. You, you, you worship a crucified, three days later, a risen Savior? That's crazy. To you it is. But to those who are believing, it's the power of salvation. See, and that's the whole point. Oftentimes God is gonna He is gonna orchestrate things so that you and I cannot take the credit. And God used What was despised in the world's eyes, he took a barren woman named Sarai and he brought forth a child. Listen, to not have a child at 85 was humiliating at best. That was not a good thing in that day. God took that which was barren, that which was set aside by the world, and God again, listen to me, one day, you know what he would do? God would take another barren woman named Mary. She's very young She has no husband. She's barren for a reason. And God would look back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and say, you know what, not only do I remember what I told you 24 years ago, Abraham, I remember what I told you hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and I'm going to fulfill my promise. And God worked through a young barren woman, a virgin named Mary. And through Jesus Christ, all the nations would be blessed by trusting Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin. And what Paul is saying is this. Only God, only the God of this Bible, different than every other religion in the world, only the God of this Bible brings salvation to barren people. Sarah and Mary could not produce a child on their own. Sarah was too old. Mary was not married. She had no husband. Both of them barren. Paul is saying it's the same for you, and it's the same for me regarding salvation. We are barren. We cannot produce righteousness on our own. We cannot get to God on our own. We are utterly barren. And salvation, listen to me, salvation is, is an immaculate conception in of itself. It's a new birth. See John 3. God producing something in us that we could not do on our own. That's how God works. And His wisdom is different from ours. But it's interesting, in Galatians, Paul takes it a step further and he reiterates that. He says exactly what I just said, that God only saves the barren. Why? Because only the barren will cry out to God and recognize that they're incapable of saving themselves. This man that I spoke to, he had his own theology, he had his own thing worked out. You know, after three hours, I just said, hey, you know what? I pray that the God of this, I pray, that, I, I said, the God of this world, Second Corinthians 4, has blinded your mind and your heart to the truth, and I pray that God will take the scales off your eyes. Because salvation, I told him, salvation is a supernatural act. I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to convert you. I'm simply here to give a defense for the hope that is in us. For three hours, I answered his questions. He didn't get saved. That's not, hey listen, that's not my job. My job is to give a defense. My job is to present the gospel. My job is to throw seeds on the ground. Man, man, some plant, some water, but guess what? God causes the growth. That's 1 Corinthians 3. James 4, 6 says God opposes the proud and he does what? He gives grace to the who? The humble, the barren. The barren. Those that say, you know what? I realize I can't do it on my own. See, the proud think that they can get to God on their own terms, that they deserve salvation, that they could work their way to God. Do you understand how low you bring God if you think you can work to Him? You're crushing His righteousness. You're like Abraham trying to produce a child your own way, results over faith, and in the world's ways. See, God's gospel is so different. In the world's ways, only those who are fertile are blessed. The morally clean, the upright, The ones who are good, come from good families, come from the right lineage. You grew up in church. That's who gets saved according to the world. That's how man would have drawn it up. And God says, no, 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 I'm going to take the barren. God has offered a gospel that says this, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what family you're from, no matter how good or bad you've been your whole life, You can be saved by repenting of your sin, calling upon the name of Jesus. You shall be saved. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, what? You shall be saved. Regardless of who you are, what family, any of that. And Paul is saying only Christ's work saves. Belief in Christ's work. You can look in Matthew 21, and and we don't have time there, but you have a guy with two sons, and he approaches one son, and he says, hey, will you do this? And the son says, no, but later on he repents and does it. And he has another son, he goes to him, and that son says, yes, I'll do it, but never does it. And Jesus says, which one of these do you think was the true son? It's the one who repented. It's the one who first said no, but he repented and he did it. And see, it, it, was the, it was the one who expressed humility over pride. It was the one who, though he was proud at the beginning, repented. And every single one of us needs God's gospel of righteousness through Christ, through belief in Christ alone, from the most religious to the least. It's totally grace. C.S. Lewis, in, in a book, Mere Christianity, He he shares this quote, and and C.S. Lewis writes in a very high level, and so bear with me, but it's it's worth reading. Speaks to this, he says, "...the sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport, backbiting. The pleasures of power and of hatred." He says, there are two things inside me competing with the human self which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. He says this, that is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than the prostitute, but of course it's better to be neither. Jesus shared that same thing. You know what? The, The prostitute knew she needed to repent. Some of, us, some of us in our self-righteousness don't think we have much to repent of. Shame on us. And if we seek to save ourselves, if we think that somehow we're worthy, not quite the sinners that we actually are, if we seek to live in independence and determine for ourselves what is right and wrong, if we, if we think we're going to earn God's favor and blessing on our own and on our own ways, listen to me, you're an Ishmael in bondage. You're in a bondage at least to sin and to self. And, and what Paul is teaching here is specific to salvation, but listen, it goes so far beyond that. You go all the way back to Genesis 3. Do not, you can do anything you want, eat from any tree, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil. What was the one thing they did? Ate from the tree of... Why? And now they want to determine for themselves what is good and what is evil. That's you and I. No longer simply just submitting this word and saying, God, you love me. Clearly you've put that there for the reason. I'm going to trust you no matter how long it takes, no matter how long I have to wait, I'm going to trust you. No, no. You know what you and I do? We go, we go have an Ishmael. We take matters in our own hands. We think that we can get God's blessing on our own, that, we can, that he's impressed with results, and we sleep with Hagar. We choose our own way, and we rely on our own capabilities, that we, we work to earn the favor of God. And again, the, the, when I, as I thought about this, Paul is specifically talking to, to salvation here, but, but the application of this goes so far beyond just salvation. The, the reality is this. What Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar would have been socially acceptable in that day. It is not as grotesque as you would think today it would have been legal or custom in that sense to have a child that way. And the reality is, is the Bible gives us time and time again examples of what the devastating results that happen when we take matters into our own hands, when we try to just get results and we set aside what God has said and we do our own thing because human, humanly speaking, it seems wise. In 1 Kings 11, 1 through 13, Solomon takes many, many wives. He ends up taking... Egyptian wives for military purposes. Sounds good on the surface. He, he's saying, I'm going to do this because I'm going to protect my people. Takes all these extra wives. The problem is, in Deuteronomy 17, God said, don't do that. Don't take foreign wives. Why? Because they're going to lead your heart away from me. And guess what you see right after in, verse, in, in 1 Kings 11? Solomon's heart is led away. On the surface. You are a great military leader. That is great. We're safe, dot, dot, dot. The problem is God said don't do that. Because God said I'll defend you. I'll protect you. In 1 Samuel 13 you have have Saul. He's sitting there on the front uh, lines of the battle and, and somebody needs to make a sacrifice. And you know what? Samuel's nowhere to be found. Samuel's the priest and that's his job. You know what? Saul decides, hey, I, I waited long enough. He offers sacrifice. You know what? God sent? right after that, Samuel shows up and says, Saul, what have you done? What have you done? Consequence? No more king. Taking matters in our own hands. Results? Absolutely. Proverbs 14:12, Proverbs 16:25 says this there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right. Human wisdom, godly wisdom. Judges 21-25, there was no king in the land, and guess what happened? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, in their own eyes. And, and, you know, today, I hear it, it sounds like this, I know what the Bible says, but, There's, there's no but, there's no but. I know what the Bible says. Stop there. Stop right there. You've gone far enough. The question for all of us is, will we submit our lives and our ways to God, no matter the cost, no matter how long it takes, no matter how long God takes to fulfill His promise, no matter what it costs us, no matter how long we suffer, will we stay true to what God's Word says? Or will we take matters into our own hands and do what we want to do, justify it with all kinds of stuff and sayings and all this stuff that ain't biblical? I mean, I'm not immune to that. There is a temptation every day for me to make this something that God has not said, for me to take ownership of it, for me to do all kinds of cute things instead of just preaching God's Word. I'm not immune to it. I'm battling the same battle every single one of you are facing every day. To make church something it's not supposed to be. To expect, to, to, to want more out of this than what God has said. To take ownership of it. To, to you know, to, to rob you as parents of the responsibility to disciple your kids. That's not my job. I, I want so badly for us to mature, but look, I can't do that. My job is to preach the word. To feed the sheep. 1 Corinthians 4, to simply be trustworthy. You know, and, and again, the, the illustration, the, the application, rather, this goes to things that are, you know, are materialism, are, are where we spend our time, debt, divorce, sports. It, it, it speaks to all of that. Will we simply trust God's Word, or will we take matters into our hands? I know what the Word of God says, but if I don't do this, this won't happen. Yeah, that's worldly wisdom. You're forgetting we have a God who has promised no matter how long it takes, even if it takes resurrecting my son many, many years later. See Hebrews 11, they all died without having received the promises. One day God is going to resurrect his son and he's going to fulfill every single promise he ever made. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. Many of us in here are going to die not having received the prompt. Maybe not things didn't seem to have worked out. I promise you, Romans 8, 18, For I do not consider the present sufferings worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. There will come a day, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following, for this momentary light affliction is producing us an eternal weight of glory far beyond any comparison. There's going to come a day where the accounts are going to be settled, and I promise you, you won't bring up how you might have got slighted. You won't. But it boils down to, will we do it God's way? Or will we try to achieve the blessing and the promises our own way? Man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. Are we going to achieve God's blessings on His terms, or are we going to achieve them on our terms? Are we going to think we know better than God? Because the world will promise you, I promise you, the world will get you some instant results. You want results, the world will get it to you. Abraham and Sarah had results. And it caused chaos. When we take matters into our own hands, listen to me, chaos, chaos. Again, and, and don't think, again, I'm not talking to stuff that is just utterly grotesque. I'm talking about things where you look around and everybody's doing it and it's okay. The problem is it doesn't honor God. The problem is God's Word said not to do it. Students, in your schools, it doesn't matter if everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter even if they're winning by doing it. If it's not what the Word of God says, then guess what? Don't do it. Parents, adults, it doesn't matter if everybody's doing it in the workforce. You, oh, i got to do this or i got to get ahead. Who says that? Who says Do we serve a God that loves us or not? Do we serve a God that says, look, I'll take care of all your needs. I take care of the lilies of the field. I take care of the birds of the air. Are you not more precious than they are? That's worldly wisdom. That's called justification. It doesn't matter who else is doing it. 1 Corinthians ten speaks to that. We don't make decisions based on what's pragmatic or profitable. Paul says all things are lawful, all, but not all things are profitable. He says all things are permissible, but guess what? Not all things bring glory to God. And at the end of the day, what Paul is saying is exactly what the writer of Proverbs three, five, and six says: Trust in the Lord with all your heart; lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll do what? He'll make your path straight. He'll make your path straight. He'll work it out. He'll work it out. I promise you He'll work it out. His character demands that He'll work it out. It may take you 24 years. The rest of the world may look at you and they may laugh at you. You may look foolish for waiting in the world's eyes. You may look foolish for continuing to suffer and not fixing it. I promise you, God's honored in it. He'll work it out.